0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton. So we're going to begin this week's podcast with a very exciting pop quiz. And the question that we're going to begin with is... What is the most pro-Donald Trump county in the entire United States? All right, I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about this while I do the little traditional tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Okay, for those of you that picked New York City, you are wrong. For those of you that picked Washington, also wrong. Actually, Washington is one of the most pro-Clinton places in the United States. Maybe it is Aspen, Colorado, wrong. Dallas, Texas, also wrong. The most pro-Donald Trump place in the United States is a little town with 597 people who live there. It is only 1.2 square miles, and it is in the county of Roberts, Texas. So the way you spell this town, it's, it's actually spelled M-I-M-A, just like Miami, Florida, but it's actually Miami, Texas. So my guest today is writing a book about Miami, Texas in relation to the elites who live in the big cities across America and D.C., New York, L.A., and so on. And he's trying to figure out who has it right. Do the folks over there in Texas have it right, or do the folks over here on the coasts have it right? Do we all have it wrong? Who knows? It's actually a fascinating, fascinating conversation. I read his book in the iteration uh, that he just turned into his publishers and was not only laughing out loud, but was just fascinated by the difference in the way we live and the way they live, but yet we all kind of have the same goals in mind. So I'm very excited to welcome Joel Stein to the show. Joel uh, was a reporter for Time Magazine for many, many, many years. I'm sure you have read his bylines numerous times. If you take the time to Google him uh, and you end up on his Wikipedia page, you will see that his early life, his career, and all those other things um, are way shorter than the section on Wikipedia about him, about his controversial columns. I'll let you go and dig through some of those on your own. Um, it's a great conversation. Make sure you listen all the way through. It encompasses Trump, politics, technology, family values, you name it. Uh, I'm really excited to get started. Welcome to... Thank you. You can't interrupt me, but I'm beginning. Okay. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Vilton, and you are my guest. Can I interrupt you now? Yes. Joel Stive. Um So, uh, Joel, I have known you for how long now? Not too long, for not years. Not too long, um, yeah.
1: We should
0: know the answer to this. In a few years. Yeah. Uh, I met you uh, at a at a diner somewhere in Los Feliz. It was not a diner. It was a, a respectable restaurant. I'm from Jersey. I know my diners. It's a diner, kind of. Oh my God. Um, and this is so Vanity Fair. Uh, and so <laughs> that you that I consider the respectable uh, restaurant. It was a, a nice, fine restaurant. You call it. They diner. have they have yeah. really good uh, crispy potatoes. They do. Um, so I actually asked you on because you, you were just, desperate. I was desperate, partially, but also. Uh, you just wrote a book that won't be out for, what, another six months? How does it work? I'm afraid to even ask because I miss my deadline so many times. Uh, it'll, well, six months, I, I would say. I love say. that you're
1: talking directly into the fake microphone as if it'll pick you <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> it, it might. There is a world in which it will. Um, and, uh, and it was an amazing book. I laughed my okay, ass you're off. You're one of
1: like three people, people literally,
0: who, who read you, the book.
1: my dad, and my friend Patty are the only three people who have read this book, including my, my editor hasn't read it yet.
0: Your editor hasn't because you turned it in late. Yeah, well, she has other stuff. Uh, okay, so it was, I, was la- I laughed my ass off oh, good. many, many times, um, and I, I thought it was a fascinating uh, look at America, Trumpism, and so on. So I'm going to ask you to give us the 280-character version of the book and how it came about, and then we can talk about the concept behind it because I think it's uh, there's a long discussion to have about it. Okay, uh, it's called In Defense of Elitism.
1: Because uh, you are uh, elitist. I am. I think we need the elite, unlike uh, past guests on this podcast. <laughs> I a big, and I talk to some of the same people that he uh, denigrates, Anand. Uh, uh, yeah, and how did they come about? You know, I think I, for, I wrote uh, some columns in Time Magazine, which were edited by uh, Radhika, who's now the editor of Vanity Fair. Heard of it. Uh, and we kind of wrote... I wrote these columns that defended elitism. I think the first time I got really upset was, for some reason, I was watching the Today Show. I, I need, as an elitist, I need an excuse for that. Let's say I was like in a green room somewhere waiting to go on.
0: Of course, because that's yeah. the only place elites watch television is in green rooms, especially the Today
1: Show. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I remember Joe Biden, would, uh, Kagan had just been nominated, and Biden was on, and Matt Lauer. Was saying to him like, "Do we need another person who went to an Ivy League school on the Supreme Court? Uh, you know, another. I think Kagan went to Yale. Like another Yale Law School person. Like, shouldn't we have some, some bigger representation? Some more people from from the real world? And I just like
0: thought, Kavanaugh who drinks beer,
1: who also went to Yale. Yes, right? but still, okay, that's yes, um, true. Yeah, uh, and I, that upset me greatly
0: because." there should be people on the Supreme Court that didn't go to Yale and Harvard, or there shouldn't be? No, this is a highly specialized job. That re- to have gone to like Yale Law
1: School seems a reasonable expectation for these people.
0: Okay, so let me throw this
1: back at you. Yeah. Uh, where do you think I went to school? I used to know this. I think you went to... Um,
0: well, I don't want you on the Supreme Court is the bottom line. Okay, but still, okay, so I used to work at the New York Times. I worked at yes. Manifair. Oh, I've, I know I, this. I was a contributor you went to on like, CNBC.
1: Uh, to the school in New York where you do design. Like,
0: yeah, um, I went to an art school and I got yes. kicked out of art school. Yes. I can't, I literally, and then I ended up teaching at NYU for a couple of years and, and I couldn't actually take classes at NYU because I didn't have a degree, an mm-hmm. undergraduate degree, but they allowed me to teach because of, of what I had done for, for a living for so long. And so... I don't know if I agree. You think you should be on the Supreme Court? I think that if you are successful and good at what you you do, you should be able to do whatever it is that you want to do.
1: If you're successful and good at what you do, you should be able to do that thing. Yes. I shouldn't have had to have
0: gone to Yale or
1: Harvard to do that thing. No, what you do does not require you to go to Yale or Harvard. You're sitting in front of a fake microphone drinking whiskey and talking to me. Like, you're okay, more than
0: qualified. But, but, okay, but if you go to the newsroom at the New York Times, the majority of the people there have gone to... Uh, Journalism school? I, Ivy League schools. Does that mean that's the you know top paper in the nation? Does that mean that everyone who works there? I mean, that was a thing. In the past, I never would have been able to get a job at the New York Times uh, two three decades ago, because you had to have gone up that route. Well,
1: before Watergate, probably very few people had gone to Ivy schools. in New York Times, is that right?
0: No, I think that before I would say before Bill Clinton era, around then, anyone who worked in that paper had gone to, had gone to Columbia. Had you, you know, a, and and now they don't necessarily give. What a shit. switched there? I think that what switched is I think I my personal opinion is, and I'm not a professional. Because I went to art school in Guelph, but my personal opinion is is that you you see you see industries where um, the richest people in the world, and that's not a barometer for what is successful, but where the richest people in the world, starting with Microsoft and Bill Gates, dropped out of school, um, dropped out of of college, Harvard, yeah, well, but dropped out and dropped out of and and Mark Zuckerberg and all these people, Harvard, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, literally, you keep naming people who went to Harvard, but go on. Okay, but I think that it became clear that you didn't need to have that degree, that little piece of paper to be successful. A, a and B, I think that the speed with which things have changed um, in society uh, are, a, are a result of the speed of technology. So um, if you go to a four-year school uh, to go and get a degree in computer engineering, uh, to start the next Facebook or whatever, for your, when you get out, like the programming languages you use are gonna be changed, the, every, every aspect of it has is, is changed, and I think that that's why it, it justified dropping out to start a tech company, and I think that the, that it has reverberated into other industries. And therefore, a lot of people in the New York Times now because of that Not change Not just the New York tech. Times, but I think like lots of places, they don't have degrees or need the degree that they once had to get into those industries. But- my defense of elitism isn't about like college degrees
1: necessarily, it's about having some kind of expertise for what you were going to do. Okay, and so there's let, a populist revolt that argues that you can just do things from your gut without any knowledge or expertise that I have a problem
0: with. Like Donald Trump? Like Donald Trump. Okay, so, so let's he, get, yes, so, so, so right. you, so for your book you went to, uh, you, tell us what you did. You found the most Trumpian place on the planet? Yeah, so I, I
1: found the county in America that had the highest percentage of Trump voters. And I went and spent five days there just to kind of get to know why people were so into Trump.
0: And where is that?
1: Uh, it's a it's a county called Roberts County, which is in the Panhandle of Texas. And I went to there's only one real town. Uh, it's a very small county, and there's one town called Miami, spelled Miami. Miami, Miami. Miami. Okay. Uh,
0: now that I know how to spell that, thank you very much.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the college too, the University of Miami, the one in Ohio.
0: That's I, n- not the University of Miami.
1: No. This is not that interesting, but I think there was a large tribe of Native Americans called the Mi- Miamas. And they were in that area in Ohio. It's a big tribe all the way down to that part of Texas. Whereas Miami is named after like some river or something over there.
0: So when you, when you go to Miami, um, do you have any idea? I thought they were just mispronouncing it for a long time when I got there. Because they had such, I figured they had Did you actually th- think it was Miami when you said that I did, off. I thought they had like
1: thick, hick accents for a while. And then I thought, oh, no, they just come from a long line of people with thick hick accents and i have learned to say it this way. And then I finally found out that no, that's how the Native Americans said
0: it. So the the, the county, it's what, like 96% voted? So like essentially yeah. two people didn't vote for Trump? It was more, it was like a uh, close to a dozen, and I met a bunch of them. And so when you show up there, do you show up there and you say like, I'm an elite and I'm gonna prove to you why elites are important?
1: I think I kind of thought that in my head, but I'm, not very uh, confrontational, and I have social anxiety, and I'm a reporter, so instead I just wind up listening to people mostly. Although I did some arguing.
0: Okay, so one of the things that I find so fascinating when I was reading the book is you go there, and you meet these people, and they're all so nice to you. So nice to me. Uh, and they invite you to their house, and- I didn't pay for a meal the whole time I was there. Uh, and yet meanwhile, you know, like, I don't think I would buy you a cup of coffee no, if no. I had we, the opportunity. No, we, we go Dutch. For yeah, sure. um, at our diners. Um, but, so, the question that I had, like, I was reading the book, and you're sitting like on someone's stoop uh, on their porch, sorry, uh, and it's a it's a summer Texan night, and you're eating cobbler and homemade ice cream, and you've just had brisket, and you're all talking, and no one's looking at their phones, and you write this yeah. thing about how uh, you have a son. Uh, and how much he would probably enjoy that life and yeah. and I wondered reading it like wait a second did, did they have it right and we have it wrong like as I'm like run You know running around all over the place yeah. doing this that and the other taking meetings here and and pitching this thing There and writing that thing there like uh, and am I the one that has it wrong like what was the takeaway you got?
1: I, I definitely felt like maybe they are better at running a town than or a life than we are Although we're better at running like a large society,
0: but why? So if they're better at running a small society and we're better at running a large one, why? Why? Why aren't they better at running a large one?
1: Oh, because you have to. Uh, I mean, they have phones and they have internet and they want a somewhat globalized world and they want to have massive global cooperation on some level and that that takes a lot of uh, being able to incorporate information that's not in front of you and they're not familiar with and. And, and incorporate and cooperate with other people. That's the main difference. Is just the mass amount of, of knowledge that you need that's not right in front of you to, to operate a large, complicated society.
0: And so you, you're, so they're hyper focused on the on the one foot view, and the elites are hyper focused on the ten foot, ten thousand foot view.
1: Yeah, and that's not a good way to live. Like we know that. Like I did a story once um, where I went to a ta- to Redmond, Washington, and there's a rehab facility for people who are addicted to technology. These were all young men in this case, and with somewhat. Rich does parents. it look
0: like a regular rehab facility? Is it? It like- does.
1: It was in a nice house in the middle of the woods, and there was a little, uh, you know, house in the back where you did your meditation, and it looked. Then a- you cooked meals together, and yeah, it looked a lot like. And there's the no family. technology. No, no. The- some of these kids will never be able to use a anything but a flip phone again in their lives. Because
0: what happened to them?
1: It was dramatic, like it seems like a joke to be addicted to technology, but like, I mean, some of the, like one of these guys I know was playing, it was all basically video games, because I thought it was gonna be porn or that's Twitter. What I, that's where my head went porn. I was literally, yeah. Yeah, no, it yeah. turns out that, uh, uh, I guess due to refractory periods, there's only so much <laughs> porn you can watch in a given day that'll it'll, it'll mess up your life. Don't get me wrong, but not to the degree which video games can mess up your life. Got it? Because you can play. I'm gonna pick the wrong games because I don't play video games but like World of Warcraft. I went. Or, that's where I was. That going, right? World of Warcraft.
0: I, I maybe. Well, probably. I may be I think Quake, century, or I maybe know. or like uh, Wait, Tom but, Clancy's Shoot 'Em Up. I, see, I saw ads for
1: like Red Dawn. Red Dawn. So anyway, those things give you. Um, all the things that the real world, the positive feedback you can get from doing real world thing, you get a simulacrum from, from these kind of video games, which is like, you are social, you're interacting with other people, you do acquire skills that you move up in levels. Um, there's a lot of feedback loops that you're hard to get out of. So these kids would, I know one kid was talking about playing uh, video games so long that he would just you know, defecate in his pants. Are you serious? Oh yeah, these kids had no lives outside of, they were just, they, they didn't go out for food. They brought, they had Taco Bell and Mountain Dew delivered and their it, lives had fallen apart.
0: And was it? And they had real
1: lives beforehand. They were all like at Emory or, you know, computer science major or they were playing
0: on soccer teams like in college, like they were normal people. And th- was it that they that they had social issues and that, that they found I, solace in the video game? Or was there something? Not in the social, they, yes, but not in the way you're thinking. I think they were,
1: much like other addicts, they seem to have. They're very sweet guys, and they seem to have anxiety, depression issues. So some of them are also wound up doing some. Either addicted to marijuana, or um, they were those type of guys.
0: And so what? Ha- so but you not
1: not social outcasts kind of guys.
0: They were funny and cool and had friends. So you so you go to this this place, and yeah. and these people are living a life without technology. Are they, are they happier? Well, it's really hard for them because, like,
1: literally looking, making eye contact was hard for them in the first week or two. Huh. They had really divorced themselves from humanity, uh, and I think nor- normal social interactions in person are somewhat confrontational. And I think that's—I feel com- confronted right now. I do. When here. you were bringing up where you went to college, like that that's <laughs> the, I back down right away. Um, but I think that those things become harder and harder the more. We all use our phone, and we all are like, oh, I don't want to call her. I'm just going to text her. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to meet up in person. I'll just...
0: Yeah, these- we, I, we, um, uh, we have a three-year-old and pulled him out of, um, of a school that we didn't like because the, the teachers were really mean. Oh, Cassandra. Yeah. Hey, my
1: wife has a, a germ head, if that's a word, against this school.
0: Yes, and... Um, she warned and you against this yeah, school, Yeah right? we were warned yeah. by many people. It was a monastery school. Other people, school. too, yeah, warned you. There's, okay. there's postings online about it. But we, uh, they were really mean, like overly mean, mm-hmm. and um, my poor, he, he was two and a half at the time, he would, I would drive him to school and he would rock back and forth in the backseat of the car and he would be like, I'm just going for a little bit, I'm just going for <laughs> oh a little no. bit. It was so sad. But oh. I, I, the teacher was, the, you know, the, the woman who ran the school was just like, well, it's just a transition, they're little adults. And you don't know anything when you're a first parent. Yeah, your no, parent. you're. Uh-huh. and I realize he's going to talk to his therapist about it years from now. No, no, um, no, they forget all this stuff. Oh, they do? Yeah. Doesn't, you, I haven't ruined it. Yeah. You no, know, the only stuff you talk to your therapist
1: about is that short period of time, like between puberty and when you leave home. When they're like, "They didn't go to my play." Got like, it. it's, you're okay, fine I'll go to his play. I'll, yeah. I'll,
0: I'll definitely go to his play. But I, so, I, but it was interesting because I don't mind conversation. I actually kind of like it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I sent her an email to say we weren't bringing him back because I felt she, she was so intense. She is intense. Uh, yeah. She is intense. But it was interesting now that you say that because I haven't really thought about the fact that. That there are moments where this, the the lack of technology, where technology can actually help in those ways. I think one of the problems, and I want to get back to this, to this story you were talking about. But one of the problems with technology today is that the people who built the technologies we use ha- are people who have social anxiety issues. Mark Zuckerberg is not someone who can sit down with. People and just have a, a fun, chatty conversation about the the latest movie he saw or this, that, and the other. Everything revolves, and I've spent time with him, and everything revolves around Facebook. Everything. Right. Uh, I tried talking to him about surfing once, and uh, and he was like, "Have you ever thought about putting a thing in your surfboard so that you it can automatically update your Facebook status to say you're surfing?" And I'm like, "Why would I do that?" Like, this what? is a fair amount of driven
1: people. Like, you tried to talk. I've tried to talk about Bernie Sanders about something that isn't wealth inequality. And he That's just, the his eyes and over. Yeah. Yes.
0: Well, so the problem is Zuckerberg and Dorsey and all these people who have built these technologies uh, have social issues and they have built them to uh, to mediate those social issues. And as they have built them, they haven't built in an empathy. And so therefore, these technologies that we all use that we're like, holy shit, I can talk to Joel over in... Uh, 5,000 miles away or whatever, like, we use these technologies that have been built without thinking about empathy, because these people off, most of the time don't have it, and as a result, we have the world we live in today. I've heard you say that before. And you don't agree? I don't agree. Okay, bring it.
1: I feel like, I've, I've done stories where I met people who had quit, um, I guess they quit Facebook and they were trying to make or Twitter, or trying to make a nicer Twitter out in Utah. I wish I remembered more about these people, and it failed. Um, and I feel like, as human beings, we want to escape our loneliness and our anxiety, and therefore we are. When a computer gives us an option to work on its rules, which are much simpler, they're more binary than than our more complicated rules, we are eager to do it. So, like. In, in, like, this is a Vanity Fair podcast. I'm going to talk about Infinite Jest right away. So in Infinite Jest, <laughs> David Foster Wallace, it's in the future, and he invents some version of Skype. We've all, since we were kids, thought about some version of video teleconferencing. And what he finds out is no one really wants to do it because you really have to pay attention in face-to-face conversations. And the good thing about the phone is you're kind of paying attention when you talk and then someone else talks and you're not really paying attention. And people like that more. And I think... Any technology that gives us the option of withdrawing is is preferable than having to like sit there in your own anxiety. And so I don't think, I think if the nicest, most social dude in the world or woman in the world had built Facebook, it would still come out like this. Like Twitter was always gonna be this. There's no nice version of Twitter that exists.
0: I, I, I agree that there's no nice version of Twitter that exists, but I don't, would you say that society is better off because of Twitter and Facebook? Can't answer the question, can you? I, I don't think, look, I think society is better yes. off. You you do think it is. But you have to think about it. I mean, you literally had to sit there. There's a lot of negatives, right? Yeah, but you have if to I say up. to you, do you think society is better off because of the invention of chocolate? You'd be like, fuck yeah, it's oh, be, oh yeah. yeah. Well, like, or, sort of, right? Oh, there's come a ne- on. There's no. A, there's don't a lot even, of, don't even argue a lot this of one. obesity in our country. I'm talking about dark chocolate with like salt on top and you know so, caramel. I would elitist this I'm, I'm the, elite. Uh, um, the kind the, you get in the diner. The, the kind, kind of you get in the yeah. diner when you... At the end. Uh, the petite four at the diner at the <laughs> end. I get it. <laughs> um, uh, cars, planes, there are bad things that happen with it. 32, 33, 34,000 people die every year from car accidents yeah. in the United States. 1.2 million globally. But I would say society is better off because of cars. But when I look at social media, right. I would not say that that is the case. And I think that we didn't bin, build car, I mean, yeah, you, cars do create this, like you go for a drive on a weekend, it's a nice antisocial experience that you, you know, but that the car that's not what the car was built for. The car right. was built for a purpose. And I feel like social media and a lot of technology we use, it, use today were not. They, they're not, they're not connecting us in a better way. Um, that's my. That's my. We're argument. definitely not using them correct in a way. But that's that because they better. weren't built correctly. It's like it's like if you built a a car that only went from like one place to the other place, and the other place was an insane asylum. Like that would be the perfect analogy, I think. But a TV wasn't built to like lobotomize
1: people. But that's what it no, did. No, it was
0: it was captured for that. Yeah. 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 So
1: I don't know if people didn't. I mean, Twitter was built kind of
0: randomly, right? Yeah, it was a total accident. Yeah, so I don't know if... But Facebook, I think Facebook was to get Mark Zuckerberg laid, but yes. Yeah, all inventions. Anyway, let's go back to this. I want to go back to the house uh, with the people who were addicted to video games. Okay. Uh, And you were going to give us a large thought on this?
1: Yeah, so it's a question of how should we be living our lives. Yes. And, And it's really what you're talking about, about Facebook and Twitter, is yeah, we really are in a bad, all of us are in a bad situation that's pretty akin to what these people were experiencing in rehab. Like, we're, the people in Miami who who weren't looking at their phones and really had a community and stopped by each other's houses and had dinner there and went to each other's porches and went to church together, uh, all the stuff David Brooks talks about, like, they did seem healthier. Do you, but it did seem like they were running a society better than we were. Now, they were running society in, like, 1950, but but it seemed like they had a community of least.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting. I remember my grandfather uh, grew up in, in England, and um, he lived there during the war, Second World War, and he was telling me um, he remembered when uh, everyone... He, he lived in the heart of London, and um, he remembered this moment when everyone got... Uh, people started getting televisions. Um, and they started getting their own little radio, you know, little radios in their house. And he said it was literally like the same week that they would get these communication platforms, people started buying locks for their front door. He said that he, when, he, when he was born, like he, they never had a lock on their front door. There was no, um, uh, no one on his block. He could walk up to any house and open the door in the heart of London. And then once we started to hear the news, it was like, oh my God, I have to get a lock on my front door. Like, something really oh, bad wow. could happen to me. And I always remember that um, because it seems like this information is, and the technology, it kind, we think it's making it better, but I over time I'm starting to worry that it's not. So no one in Miami locks their doors. No one. When I, so I rented out, uh,
1: the mayor of Miami told me, so there's no hotels obviously in this town, that I had to stay very far away at a Holiday Inn. But then I went online, and for some reason this mayor didn't realize someone was running a, a B&B out of their An house. An Airbnb or? A it was actually, I found it on Airbnb, but no, it's just a b and um, The Cowboys and Roses, if you're ever in Miami, Texas, I highly recommend it. Good, good to know. Uh, and the woman who was running it sets me up, and she, she's about to leave, I'm like, "Okay, oh, I have a key? And she's like, no, we don't have keys in this town. So. My place and everyone else's place was completely unlocked in this town, as far as I could tell. Although they all had guns, to a person, everyone had their own gun. Everyone had man and woman alike had their own gun. It was usually
0: on them. Wow, was that nerve wracking or? Well, yeah, because like I was a dry. Because you had a laptop and you would just throw it at them, and that's it. Or (laughs) (laughs) that was my defense. (laughs) (laughs) Don't shoot. No, it was a little scary because I was
1: new to town, and if I'd gone inside the wrong house, like I was afraid I'd get shot because it uh, all
0: opened. Um, okay, so putting aside the gun part, yeah, uh, it does sound like the more you say this, that that they they do kind of have it right. So here's the question: Do you think that it, the they're voting for Trump, right? So the, yes. The, um, the majority of them uh, are they doing it because they believe in the values that the Republicans espouse, or is it because they believe that they hate Hillary Clinton so much, or what is it? What is the thing that's driving them to do this? And do they regret it? They do not
1: regret it. They don't like his tone. They don't really like him. To be honest, they were more Ted Cruz people. This was the heart of Texas. They're Baptists, they are very religious. But they don't, look, they're in the middle of nowhere, and they feel like they have rules being made by Austin, Texas, about their lives. From people who are nothing like them and know nothing about them, have never been to their town. Then they have rules being made in Washington, D.C. about their lives. Then they have entertainment that's being made in Los Angeles about, you know, that 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 they're supposed to they feel like the elites are basically running their entire lives without doing without understanding them at all. And Trump made some attempt to I mean, in the end, he's a middle finger to the elites, right? And he's just Even though he is an elite. Well, I argue in the book that he's not because um, remember Bobo's in Paradise, which David Brooks wrote, where he defined like remind me, I forget. Uh, he wrote this book, I think, in late '90s, maybe 2000, about kind of the new the new elite, the new Brooklynites, the meritocracy that sent people to these colleges, and then they moved into these like parts of Silver Lake or Los Feliz and be you know lived these certain kind of lives with a third wave coffee. He listed things that people that Bobos hate that will never be respectable to the elites, and uh, the t- there were 12 of them. The 12th was Hooters, and the first was Donald Trump. Hmm. So Donald Trump was always anathema to the elite, and he, I mean, he is what you, obviously everyone says this. He's what if you are not part of that class, what you, ima- what you would do if you had money? Yeah, like, he's at the- your KFC with you know on your with your hot wife.
0: Yeah, it's like, what's what's the saying of um, he is the rich, he's the poor person's idea of what it, meant, what it would like to be right. rich.
1: But more than that, so I get into the book is something I call the boat elite, which are different than the
0: people, you and I elite, which is this guy. Wait, am I one, am I one of, am I on the same level even though I didn't go to Stanford? Yeah, yeah, you, we let you in oh, later. thank you yeah, once so you much. Moved I didn't to, get the letter.
1: Yeah. Oh, you got the letter. You got it from <laughs> the New York Times. You got it from Vanity Fair. You got the letter many times. You got the letter from Johnny Walker. Yeah uh, this guy Pareto, who you may know from the 80-20 theory, which is that 20% of your sales force brings in 80% of your mm-hmm. work, he has this theory that 20% of the people, it basically comes from 20% of the people own 80% of the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seems to be true, as Piketty kind of proves, throughout time. But he also this other book he wrote, it was an essay in 1901, called The Circulation of the Elites. And his theory was, there's, and it's Nietzsche's theory too, there's two elites fighting each other at all time like Nietzsche would probably say, the sheep and the wolves, right? It's the, the intellectual elite who claims there's morality and that, that you have to live a certain way so that their weak asses can control things, which is us. Yeah. And then there's the nationalist, rugged, by force, by money elite, which I think is what Trump is. And I think we, we're looking at possibly making a switch now around the world between these two kinds of elite. And I'm very, very scared about
0: that because that never works out well. What, so, what do you, what do you think the worst case scenario is for that? Because I love going straight to the dystopian. So let's just go. You do. It. Oh my god. You think everything it. is yeah. dystopic? Well, you do. I'm not with is. you on the, uh, the disappearance of, of it, jobs and all that. stuff. You don't think so? I do not think so. Oh my god, climate change. we I mean, we could burn to death by the end of this episode. I mean, it's. I mean, we wouldn't even know it's yeah. happening. Uh, no, we get a tweet. We. <laughs> <laughs> totally I, deleted, on our Facebook feed. I, I deleted Twitter from my phone. Uh, <laughs> did you really? Yeah. I just, I Everyone I know it. who's done that is happy about it. Oh yeah, I'm so much happier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I actually officially did it just this week. Really? Uh, we, I, I had done it a while ago. I took a little break, and then I and then I um, I reinstalled it, and uh, uh, just this last week, some people were giving me a hard time about something I'd written, and I was like, you know what? I don't need this. No. And I just deleted it. And I feel better.
1: It is amazing how much, like if I've written columns before that people hated.
0: People have hated a lot of your columns.
1: They really have. I've and looked they, it up. They were usually right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing how upsetting that is, first of all. And secondly, how much of that information is, is sent to you very indirectly that you are searching for. It's so like you're going on Twitter, you're going on Facebook, and you're seeing the hate.
0: Well, it's interesting, I don't go, I took a, a couple of years ago, I was um, mauled uh, by, uh, by the journalism industry uh, for a column I had written, which we don't really need to get into, uh, and Gawker and all those places came up to me, and I had this moment where I was like, I had, all, I had Google Alerts Was this the right? column about how you hate Latino people? <laughs> Is this a different one? <laughs> okay, sorry. I wrote that column. Um, uh, it was how I hate the elite. Uh, um, anyone who went to Stanford and has written a book about the elite—very uh, small group of people—that came after me. Um, no, I. So it was a tech column that, that people got upset about. Um, everyone gets upset about everything, so it doesn't really matter about the column. But the point is, I, ha- I had Google alerts turned on for my name oh, for many, oh, many years, man. and I, and and I would, and I had like um, in. I think there was like a setting in Twitter where you could just see like what people were saying with your real name, oh, yeah. not just your thing. Yeah. And I was like what the why would I do this I used to and have I that deleted too. everything yeah. like I was like I don't need to know what these people are saying it's almost like I'm sure that there is there I'm sure that there is like a family member or a friend or it's someone totally who's talking, talking, about talking about you right now, right now. You just don't I don't to know need it. to know it exactly I, yeah. and so I, fine talk shit about me totally. I don't care That's normal yeah well it was funny cuz I was I and would, they wouldn't say it to your face so we no. did this experiment
1: you know Josh Tringal Yes. So, uh, Tell the listeners. Uh, he runs Vice's daily uh, news show for okay. HBO right now. Uh, we'll
0: bleep that out yeah. because it's not Vanity Fair. <laughs> no, exactly. He's a Vanity Fair contributor.
1: He was my editor at Time for a little bit. We did this experiment where we took a piece of hate mail to Time magazine and put that person, not even in, not in person, not on the phone, just on email. We had them interact five times we we were we were going to revamp the letters department because who cares about letters? like no one no one I know reads the letters section so we're like how do we make it interesting and one, we had all these ideas one was you take the piece of hate mail
0: the hate mails from who for reader just made up no real it's a real hate oh, mail. it's a real, hate real mail. reader okay yeah
1: about something like your column that yep. they hated <clears throat> and then the person who wrote the piece uh, emails that person back uh-huh and then that person emails back and we did it five times just a string. And the discourse got so much nicer and of more course. humane. Yes. Right. Yes. And so, like, when you write a letter to the editor, or when you tweet something, you do not. And I know this from when I used to write mean things. Like, not that I don't anymore. But I used to write when I was younger more mean things, particularly about celebrities, because A, I didn't think they'd see it. Mm-hmm. B, I didn't really think they were real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and I certainly didn't think they'd get upset. Yes. Like, I thought they had beyond thick skin. Yeah. And, it's, and it took me being yelled at by celebrities a lot for me to realize that- It did affect them. It did
0: affect them and they're real people and but you can take that into consideration at least. But this goes back to the technology thing. I had an, I've had, i had instances where I've met people and they've been super nice to me right. and then I, I go to follow them on Twitter and I see tweets where they're like, Nick Bilton's the worst human being alive. Sure. And uh, and you know, I still invited you on the show, but <laughs> um, uh, but no, it's, it's um, I, it's technology removes empathy. I feel like if, I feel like if we want to fix society
1: removes empathy
0: It's not that it's not the technology's fault.
1: It's the, the I mean just like you said someone's talking about you That's true. You're right. Yeah, just, yeah, that's right. Technology that's true. is a. If just, I
0: walked down the street and told someone go tell Joel I I don't like his hair today. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that's your face. Your hair looks great, by the it way. It does not um, uh, Yeah, no, I think I think that's right, but I think that I think, I think if we want to save society uh, as technology becomes more apparent and, and, and becomes uh, just more engrossing in every single thing we do, uh, believe it or not, it's going to happen more and more than it already is, I think that we have to start thinking about how to build empathy into it. Otherwise, I think we're screwed. I don't know if you can build empathy into non-human interaction,
1: non-face-to-face interaction.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: really don't. I think.
0: I mean, I look at pictures of puppies puppies and I think, oh my God, he's so cute. You get a little dopamine hit. It's just like. But that's empathy. Like what if we made everyone look like a puppy on Twitter or something like that? Oh my God, these are the the (laughs) solutions that make me sad.
1: We just need to come up with emoticons that fit my skin color and then we'll all be cool. (laughs) No, like, yeah, no, it's a hard, we need. More face-to-face interaction. We need more of what Miami, Texas had. I was up, I did a proper Shabbat on Friday I was up in Toronto and I went to this guy I know and his family did full-on Shabbat where they didn't, he doesn't use phones on the weekend and it was like, just, there's this guy David Sachs who wrote this book about going analog mm-hmm. and he was just operating on a different How did you get a
0: hold of him to go there?
1: We went to a, an elitist, so the second chapter of my book is about elitist organizations. Yeah. So we went to the, the Reboot, Reboot, which is the elitist Jewish organization mm-hmm. together. So it's just a friend of mine. So I saw but him. he's not on the phone. Oh, I, I, we had to set it up. Oh, I, yeah, set it up in advance. Yeah, uh, set up in advance. And so I showed up at his house in advance, uh, and we hung out. And
0: and you did you bring your phone or did you leave it in the car? Or? I brought my phone. I didn't take it out. Got it. No one did. And
1: I wasn't really tempted to, and other people aren't. Like that's this when you're at dinner with someone and they take out their phone, it's like an excuse for you to take out your phone.
0: So we. So okay. So so bringing this back together yes. f- with with Miami. Is the solution that because I do agree when you when you know when you speak to someone face to face who has said something not nice about you on, online or through a letter or whatever, um, I, I do it so, once in a while like I will respond because I get I get angry. Oh, that's bad. Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't respond on social media, but I get um, sometimes I get like angry nasty emails Yeah, and no, I no. respond. Oh no! No, I've, no, it's, okay. it works though. I um, I sometimes respond. It's like an experiment. Let's see what this person says, right. and I and they I, calm down right away, cl- right? Right away. Yeah. Like a lot of I've had times. A lot of times. They where don't people, think you're gonna read it. A lot of people that are like, I'm. have had one guy say, "I'm so sorry that I said that. I actually didn't think anyone would read this." Of course not. And yeah. And so I, I guess I'm hunting for in your search for the book on elitism. Right. That is the solution that we. Get rid of technology. Is it the solution that we Look, that we, we that we do like? You know how like uh, when we were kids, they had um, you would have the exchange student that would come like from France yes. and and yeah. they would stay in your house and then you would go to their house and stay in their house for a month or whatever. Is the solution that we like have? You know, we all go stay spend time in Miami, Texas, and so then no, they come into LA no. or I, I we because technology has become such a huge thing.
1: Yes. You in, for you in particular, because you covered it, but for all of us, it's become the thing we think about, how we think society has changed. I, I think that is not what's going on. I don't think Trumpism, populism, is, a, is mostly a technology issue. I think that's- You don't think it is? Not at all. What is it? You have these waves um, of populism that grip the world you know, this, this is, what's happening now, it seems very akin to what happened before World War I. Not that it's necessarily gonna go that far, but it, we're directionally headed in that way. And people react to change, like, people forget there's massive change in the world that is not technology-based. I mean, there are ideas that occur. Like, the Enlightenment, sure, the printing press leads to the Enlightenment in some ways, but in some other ways, it's an idea. And there have been ideas presented in Western culture that are very disruptive and upsetting, and globalism, feminism, diversity, there's a reaction to this. The amount of people who are upset about political correctness is everyone except the 8% of society who are progressives that we know. People are reacting to an idea
0: violently. Yes, I, I completely- People are getting tribal. Yes, yeah. and so how does it play out? Do we, cause, Because wasn't it that prior to World War I, it was the response, to, it, fascism was actually a response to the similar things, right? Yeah, I don't know how it plays out. So there's an argument, like the Mooch made,
1: which I, I've thought about a lot since the election. He made it on your show that like, McCarthyism burns out. People get sick of this, mm-hmm. right? But then there's another version where like, it doesn't burn out and Pol Pot takes control. You know, th- I don't know how it turns out. And is that what, that's what worries you the most? Yeah, that you're gonna have this changing of the guard to like full on nationalist populist revolt and, and we're gonna go, we're, the Dark Ages lasted a long time, right? Well like, things, things, things happened quicker today though. I guess, but like, I don't know, the Cultural Revolution set China back quite a bit. Like is not back to where it was. Like no, things don't, things take a long time. You can destroy things very quickly.
0: Uh, do you think we're destroying things right now?
1: We're 100% destroyed. I mean, the, the Michael Lewis kind of like, what's going on in the executive branch kind of way? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for okay, sure. Okay, so I was in D.C. We have people who don't know what they're doing running departments that we, you and I, don't understand, right? We just know that there's pe- there are people like us running things they shouldn't be running.
0: But, okay, so if you look at the... Um, if you look at the results of the midterms from, uh, this year, the response, the blue wave was, it's actually bigger than people realize because of all the gerrymandering. Um, the response to Trumpism, uh, after Obama won, uh, the response to those midterms, uh, was that 45% of, um, uh, Republicans came out to vote in the midterms, um, the folks that vote, uh, and people that registered to vote. The, and, that was a, and that was a huge response to Obama. Like they, there was people were, were pissed off and there was a lot of angry people on the right and so on and so forth. If you look at the response to Trumpism and Trump, it was 60% um, uh, that voted of Democrats, of Democrats. Vote? like, and it's like an, it's How an astounding 60 like something seats and the Democrats flipped because of gerrymandering, because the Republicans are way better at right. politics than the, the yeah. Democrats are. Um, and, and so it seems like, or you just know, control more territory. Uh, I think a lot of it is, I mean, when you really look at the numbers, it's, I mean, it's kind of amazing. And look also like, look what happened in Georgia. Brian Kempf, Completely cheated to win the election. You know, look at what happened in Florida. The Republicans were crying uh, that it was, you know, but they, they did win. They, like, yes, well, yeah. I if you actually count the votes in Broward County, who knows? Like, if if you know, and look at Texas. There was instances where people were voting for Beto, and but uh, this is the kind of liberal like I'm not saying thinking, like I'm not saying that no 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 I'm not if saying people really
1: didn't like nationalism and populism, like the way that I am afraid of Trump. And I'm not talking about like Republicans, Democrats. I'm talking about populism and, and incompetence and inexperience. If people were reacting to that like I am, we wouldn't have to debate about like, what Brian Kemp did. There'd be a massive reaction to this.
0: Well, but I also think that there's a, a large number of people in this country, you know, 91 million people didn't vote during the Trump election. Yeah, but
1: there's a lot of people, and this is the argument in my book, that there's a lot of people who just want to give a middle finger to people like us because we are so smug and so superior And we're already we were about to walk down a conversation where like these people got tricked, these people were gerrymandered. No, no, I I don't think they they got tricked. I just think that they're. I just think it's politics, and that the and the Democrats are really bad at politics. But they're bad at politics. Like the subtext of that is like people really agree with us, right? And they're just good at gerrymandering, and they're good at politics. And there's a superiority and a smugness to this that people hate, and to political correctness, like they think of political correctness, the way that like. Um, I think of like knowing the left and bank, uh, right banks of Bordeaux. Like it's another way to take my cultural superiority and be like, no, we call them they. It's, tra- I, I, it's trans people, not they're not trans. Like it, it, they, the reaction to that is so intense to our cultural superiority that they will do. Any, they will like Trump just to flip us off.
0: Okay, but so here's the question: If the for the 91 million people that didn't vote because they think like goes. Screw yourself, yeah. elites. Why haven't they risen up and said, "Hey, let's let's try a different way"? We don't want them
1: to rise up. I, I'm afraid of those <laughs> people voting. Like that's my elitism. Like I think they're the people who want to get rid of me, but like their hatred of people in power is so inchoate that they just want to vote against everybody, Trump included. Like I, I
0: fear that they're even more against me than the people who who voted against. All right, so the elite. so. It, so to come back to the book, and then I have some other questions for you that are unrelated to this, uh, to come back to the book, what's the, what's the aha thing that you got out of this? Is it that, that Trump is, Trump's people are right? Is it that I guess there are two aha things. Once, one is like the
1: people who support Trump uh, don't, for the most, the majority of them don't want to roll us quite as far back as I feared. I'm a little less afraid of them. They want to roll us back to like the 80s, not not like...
0: The 80s were pretty fun. I mean, bad architecture?
1: Yeah, but, but fun. they, they feel, it, there's a real disempowerment of where white, so people feel power relationally. They, they don't, white, white people don't feel like, yeah, we're still running things. They feel like we're running things less than we used to. Like that's how you feel power, it's like speed. Mm-hmm. You just feel the acceleration or deceleration. And so they really feel like things are being taken from them and they're not wrong. So um, one, they don't wanna roll us back as far as I feared. They don't wanna roll us back to like 1940. They don't want like uh, you know, two water fountains. Yeah. So that was comforting on some level. And B, I definitely came, I came to defend the elites just as much and expertise specifically just as much as I did before, but I really think the superiority and the smugness will not just hold us back, but defines
0: us and needs to be fixed. And it defines us in what way? It's It makes us... But wait, but you just... We started this off by you saying that I would have to have gone to Yale or Harvard to get on the Supreme Court. That I still believe, but you don't have to be smug about it. But how how can you say that without being smug? I can say it in a way that's just like... That's like me saying that the restaurant we went to was a diner. It's like... It is, but it's like saying, "Look,
1: I don't want someone working on my car unless they tra- they're a train mechanic." Like it's it's just saying that there is expertise, and, and we need people with expertise to run different things. But we don't need to like tell people that they're racist and they don't get it, and they they're not voting for their own economic interests. And we we don't need to act so we don't need to bring up David Foster Wallace immediately in the podcast. <laughs> like, we don't need to act s- like such dicks. Uh, I get it. I think yeah, that's and a very think, good point. I think so what, how I, is it, how what does it, our liberal friends are doing, both on Twitter and in real life, yes. about calling everyone like a... Yes. Like, I, I mean, honestly, yeah, like, I, I think that um,
0: uh, there People are... People were
1: upset and we're blaming, and they voted in
0: anger for something that's horrible,
1: and we're blaming them for being upset.
0: Yeah, I... Um, I completely agree with that. I think political correctness, uh, I actually 1,000% agree with people being upset about it. I don't think that like... And there's also just, we're going
1: through a great change in society in many ways. And some of that is just going to be painful. And we're going to have some of this back and forth. And hopefully it works out and we should make sure it works out. But there, there's a huge sea change going on.
0: Well, this so is my my last question on this topic for you is... If you look at the results of the midterm and you look at the, the incoming um, uh, House members, when you look at the Republican photo... They're white dudes. All white. I mean, right. literally all right. white dudes. When you look at the Democratic photo, it yes. is a... It is a melting pot. It's beautiful. Like, honestly, and it's not like, a, this is not an elite, like, there's a woman with a headscarf, there's an African-American woman, there's a, it, it's like all these different people. But the whole idea that that's beautiful, I think, is... But it's, but is, wait a second, hold on. No, yeah. it is representative of what this country is. Of the is. cities of this country. But in the cities of this country is yeah. the majority of this country for the populace. The majority, but there's still a lot of people who don't, but yes. But so... The white guys have been doing this for a long time, and they have pretty much screwed it up every time, like, don't, isn't putting aside the political correctness and all that stuff, like, isn't that, like, the, don't we recognize, don't they recognize that there's a pretty good chance that this is not going to happen again if we go that route? First of all, no. I think that's just wrong.
1: Get, Margaret Thatcher was a woman. Like, I don't think I'm that not
0: saying Margaret. Tha- I'm saying that there there is clear diversity in the incoming class of of um.
1: So, but the argument that just because you're not white
0: means you're no, like a I think nicer, it, better person. No, is, I think is a real. I issue wouldn't say for that it's not. People. It's not just because you're not white. I would say that it is that you are more representative. Look, here's like go to the Kavanaugh hearings. Those white male Republicans that were also present in the hearings for um, Hill. Anita Hill, they have no understanding or comprehension of what Christine Blasey Ford went totally. through. Yeah. And, and so that's what my point is. I'm not saying just because you're white you don't understand it. I'm saying that like, th- that they are not representative of, of this country.
1: Right, and you and I are two white dudes and a room yes. full of, of not necessarily white dudes who yes. are just like, watching us talk. Yes, I, No doubt, we are still <laughs> empowered and still over empowered, but I'm just saying, when that change occurs, yep. people f- don't feel like, there's no human reaction to, yeah, I guess I, my people used to run things, now it's someone else's turn. Like, that's just not how human beings work. They feel like, someone's come for my power. I have less power than I used to, and if you feel it on a very visceral level. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be able to get a job because my buddy thought I was a good guy, and now like, he's getting forced to hire like, a young brown woman. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, people feel that. And and maybe that change just has to occur, and we're going to have a populist revolution, and we're going to get through it, and it's going to be ugly. Or maybe we can do it a little more peacefully at the cost of it being slower. I don't know, but I know that that's what people feel. That's what people feel when they don't want, when they're keeping Syrians caged up who are, you know, in outside of Germany. It, it's real... And it's scary, and it's intense, and it needs to be managed, instead of just telling people that they're wrong, even if even if that's the the truth of it. Like it, we, it needs to be empathetically managed.
0: Empathy—that's that's the key to all of this. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So uh, we have a little bit of time left. I have a, a, a few more questions for you. So um, you've been writing for a long time. I'm 98 How, years old. You're 98 years old. You've, uh, you. Just did an aging boot camp, is that right? Yep, uh, yeah, I aged a lot. Um, how long have you been doing journalism?
1: Um, I don't know, we, do we count college? Like what do we count? I don't know. I, don't know. I guess I'm your first byline? I'm
0: 47 years old. Uh, so first byline. 30 years, 20 years? I think my
1: first byline was probably when I was 46. Uh, 25.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so y- you've written some amazing stories, very funny stories, um, some controversial stories. Can you give us a, co- I want to like hear some of your favorites uh over the years like some of the stories that you that that still stand out in your mind uh things that uh come on like you got to give me some like no nothing i mean like i had cool experiences okay tell us a couple of cool i just find that like you i i didn't know about the story i didn't sorry i didn't read them all but i didn't know about when you went to the uh the 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 house in the woods for the people that were addicted to oh yeah that was cool
1: i don't know i did so many cool things um its funny I just saw a po- this is not that interesting to cut this, but I just saw there's a podcast about Y2K. Uh-huh. And I remember I wrote, a, I wrote the cover for time when uh, the year turned the, Y2K, 2000.
0: 2000.
1: And uh, we sent someone into like a bunker with some Y2K believers and their family as they like we're going to open up their millet. And then we sent yeah. someone on an airplane with the FAA, chairwoman as people flew at midnight, because all this stuff was supposed to happen. Yeah, I remember remember watching the
0: news and they were like, across America. Well, they started in Guam, right? And they were like,
1: no, the lights are on in Guam. Like, what's going on? (laughs) And then the lights stayed on everywhere. But I found that to be super interesting, because it was like, it was about technology. It was about cults in a weird way. It was about people believing, wanting to believe in the end of the world. And then when it didn't happen, seeing the psychology of how people readjusted and how quickly people readjusted to like oh well now we'll just have millet for dinner a lot like it was (laughs) amazing like that was interesting to me and then just like I guess that was back when Time magazine was still operating in its 1950s format
0: so I Is that when they is it true that they used to come through the halls on like deadline day and like carve turkey and stuff in front of You and serve wine and so there was a
1: I got there a couple years after the bar cart stop, they would just give you a bunch of booze on Friday nights in your office and you could Mad Men style make stuff. But we did have a, there was a guy who cooked dinner for us. um,
0: In the office? Thursday,
1: Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think, um, in the office. But we walked up with our tray and then brought it back.
0: Oh, you had to walk
1: up. He did have to walk up. (laughs) This guy, Chris, he was great. Uh, Yeah, we were treated really well. But it was also, the system was that people filed to me. So I had people from like 20 cities sending me at midnight, wherever they were, these, you know, thick, Files that I had to quickly read through in a couple hours and pound something out.
0: So you, they uh, were sending fun. you their reporting and then you were? Yeah,
1: yeah, and just like me taking, I didn't really do any reporting at all. I just took all their information and tried to synthesize it. And that was just like a fun game, yeah. kind of in a way. I don't know if I'd call it reporting.
0: When you um, uh, when you think about this, to come back to this thing before, I know I said it was the last question, but I, I did now brought this this up, brought this to mind. When you think about the state of, of the country today, one of the things that I've I've said quite a lot, and I truly do believe, even though I work in this industry, is that journalism is to blame in many respects. Like, I feel like it's become a parlor game, almost, and, um... How, what do you mean? Well, I feel like it's like, I feel like that there are so many people out there who are more concerned with their byline than they are concerned with the truth. And... and cable news is a perfect example you know like you've got sean hannity and oh, right and uh on one side i mean uh, you've got um uh tucker carlson who always looks like he's going to the bathroom he's in my book yeah yeah I, yeah uh um I, and you've got and then on the other side i mean you could go as far as in saying rachel Maddow, and like she's got For her sure. viewpoint but like Jim Acosta at CNN who's like he's so like, performative it's, it's total theater yeah and it's taking away from like there's these big big issues and Trump has what he has done is just played into it just so perfectly yeah and like sets it all and it's it I don't necessarily I don't feel like have you ever watched have you ever watched 24-hour news lately it's like I, I don't have feel- cable
1: but I but my parents watch it so I see it at their houses sometimes
0: I've seen people. it at airports and I stopped I
1: mean I've I stopped going on because I yeah, me too. I hadn't gone on in a while, and then right after the election, I went on like Don Lemon or something, and uh, I didn't realize it was now like because t- I don't have cable. I've not had it for a long time. I didn't realize it was like
0: eight seventeen people, at people. A time.
1: yeah, instead of like I, I was used to like two or three, which was still crazy. Um, uh, and there was there were seven of us and, or five six, and I didn't <laughs> talk. And during the <laughs> during the break, Don Lemon said in my ear, he's like, "Look, you know, if you don't interrupt, you're not going to get." Airtime, And I was like I'm cool with that <laughs> and I don't I didn't say more than two words
0: like I was like I'm not fit but okay
1: But don't you think it was we, me and Michael Wolf? It was insanity
0: uh, I, I've been on those same shows and you're kind of looking around like it's the Brady Bunch and you're just like Okay, these two people are gonna argue and I'm just gonna wait for my five minutes to be up But don't you it's think the Brady bunch and they're all Cindy. Yes. Yeah <laughs> Don't you think that it's not helping? I don't know. There's such a little amount of it that is. I don't know.
1: People are riled up, and I think they're not riled up by the media. I think people are just. The media is r- helping rile. I don't know how much of it is just being reflected by the media. Also, like when we talk about journalism, what are we talking about? Like, I don't feel like people who are breaking important stories are doing it for the. Are doing it mainly to get a byline or get attention. I, dis- I
0: disagree. I think that there's so few people out there uh, so many publications that are doing it just for the that are doing it because they believe in it. I think that uh, I think that um, so many people are doing it because they want to be famous. Well, I mean, maybe I'm backing off of that because that's exactly why I
1: started doing it. <laughs> I mean, it is. I had, uh, when I graduated college, I was trying to decide whether to try and write sitcoms or try and uh continue because i had some cool internships in college i wrote for the school paper yeah i was like oh i think it'll be easier for me to get a magazine job but i didn't want to report i just wanted to write and get attention and then i learned that i liked reporting i didn't learn i liked reporting until years later when i was stuck in a writer's room and i missed it i was like all the cool things i did are from reporting do you still like getting attention yeah yeah
0: i mean less than i used to but for sure i i i like I try, I literally try to be like, okay, if I just, I can just sneak by the radar on this one and maybe a few people will read it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, no, it's not that. It's more, it's more that I, um, in the past, I would have enjoyed the incendiary bombs I would have thrown on social media and now I'm just like, oh, God, that again? Well, social media, I don't, that
1: kind of attention I don't really enjoy because it's, yeah. it's too fleeting even for me. Yeah. Because, like, it goes away in seconds. Like, it's a dopamine hit. That I don't enjoy. But I do enjoy, like, I do enjoy, like, having people read my stuff and having access to places that I find interesting. I do. Like Y2K bunkers.
0: Yeah. Um, All right. so, uh, So, last question. All right. Uh, how many last questions are there this, I do quite a few of them okay. we might do another one it's after much this. more exciting when you say last question. yeah like, last question. because I'm like I'm going to stop listening to this podcast they like oh just one more I don't know who, anyone who's still listening no one's made it the whole no I actually wonder when I say the, the, the outro at the end I'm like thanks for listening if you're next you week and I'm like and sometimes <laughs> I'm like why are you still listening uh, no one in the room and my wife question. turns over and says why did you say that at the end um, no, she's right uh, um, the, I forgot the question I literally... Oh, it was my last question. My last question was, do you think that... I do like you. (laughs) Was that it? You did a good job today. Was that it? Uh, Can you tweet my byline real quick for me? Um, No, here, here it is. Is what do you worry about most from all the all the stories you've done all over the years, you know, like climate change and. You're so dystopic. No, t- your I have thing. to go there. I just have to do it. I have to know well, what I'm it is to keep you up. About open the world? I, about the world. Is oh, it populism? Same thing is it.
1: No, it's the same thing that's kept me up since I was a little kid and read Nuclear War. What's in it for you? Okay. Like, yeah, climate change, that's a problem. But, like, I think the way people are going down is from a nuclear really? war. Really?
0: For sure. What are you talking about? Nuclear war is so mundane compared to all the other ways that we I know, can that's down. the way we're going down. For you, sure. You you need like seven people to press a button and like Oh, okay, I didn't realize. what if what? Oh, I'm wrong then You need seven people? I thought <laughs> no, it was you, need, you need okay. like two. No, but like there's biological warfare where right. they can release or there's uh, there's I, I I heard recently, I had some one on the podcast like a year ago and I've been researching it more about how in china they they have no ethical quandaries about genetically modifying yeah, yeah, they're making human beings like pigs and stuff they ma- well not yeah. only the pigs but they're making like a superior race of like of humans that will be able to like see 4 miles out and and um, and will be bigger and stronger I know, I and know, can and run. Truck drivers won't have jobs. I know it all. No, but, but don't, and you worry about nuclear bombs. What for is this sure. like the Bay of Pigs?
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. We that was as close as we've gotten to ending this planet was literally the Bay of Pigs, yeah. and it's just luck that it hasn't happened again. If you give people a gun, someone's going to shoot a gun, right?
0: Yep, yeah, that happens in America. And quite if you're a lot. in
1: Pakistan and you're moving your nuclear weapons around in the back of a van, like those, <laughs> yeah, that's how it's that's how it's going down. That's what I worry about. And then we have a guy who I don't think should be in charge of a decision about nuclear war. Like, I feel strongly about that. I feel very strongly about so that. So that's, if I had to boil down my problem with, with populism, whether it's here or Brazil or Hungary, like, the, or, or North Korea, like, all these nationalist countries, which is probably every, <laughs> every country by the time this podcast airs, some of them have nuclear weapons. Yep. And, you know, replay World War I with nuclear <laughs> weapons, and it's not great.
0: No, it's true. Well, World War, they had a lot of um, chemical weapons in it. They did. That wasn't great. It wasn't great. So many people were gassed
1: and killed. Yeah. Like, didn't know what was going on. They just walked out of their trench, walked into, like, a a cloud of fog and fell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, should we end it on this note or should we try to find something? We're going (laughs) to drink, I thought. That's when you drink. (laughs) I'm literally like, what can I ask that's not about people dying in a fog of... Chemical weapons. I think that's it. I think yeah. I think we're done. Thank you, Joel. No I problem. really appreciate you taking the time. You bring uh, out the darkness in everyone. In man. everyone. Even You're the even, new Cave of Podcasters. Even the elite Joel Stein. Ugh. Thanks. Thank you. Well there you have it, folks. Thanks to my guest. Joel Stein and thank you for you for listening this far. If you've enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bill and you can find these on Apple Podcasts, radio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a absolutely incredible review while you're there. Thanks of course to my folks at Cadence 13 for their production work and for doing such an incredible job on this podcast. And I will see you all next week We're going to have a, uh, another special episode Where maybe there will have be a little pop quiz Maybe there won't But you'll have to come back to see